welcome to the Razan Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode eight. I'm Joel Payne from Razan Worship. I'm Sam Hargreaves from EngageWorship.org. And this is a podcast to equip, train and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. And in our podcasts, we'll be dissecting classic songs, focusing on technique in the workshop and bringing you interviews with some of the finest worship songwriters around, as well as responding to your tweets, Facebook messages and emails. Well, this episode is mainly going to be an interview episode uh, where we'll be talking to Stuart Townend, who is uh, known for writing some of the probably most popularly sung um, songs in the world, I guess, in in worship. Sam, what would you pick out as your favourite Townend? Uh, He wrote this song called Christ Christ Be In My Waking with Simon Brading, and it has this amazing uh, final uh, verse... um, Christ, when hope has faded, nothing left to cling to, every pleasure jaded, every well is dry. Wow. I just think, and it does get a little bit more hopeful after that before the song finishes, (laughs) but I just think, wow, to be able to have a worship song that that says that so honestly, and it's, it's it's in the context of a wider song, so you can use it in, in lots of different contexts but you get to say those, sing those words. And I think if anyone's in the congregation feeling depressed or having a hard time or lost their job, what a fantastic thing to be able to admit in the context of worship. Yeah. I was thinking of um, a real, a slightly older classic tan end, which is Beautiful Saviour. Mm. And I guess I still just don't really know another song like it. Yeah. it it's quite cleverly written musically because it yeah. uses sort of one or two unusual chords, but it's incredibly singable. Mm. Got this great melody, and I know once or twice when I've been leading worship and we're using a slightly newer song or something, and it's one of those situations where not necessarily everybody is is joining in, or or, or they are, and there's a certain volume, and then you go into oh my day, and suddenly the just the volume doubles, yeah, and people grab it. I think it's in, it's an incredibly powerful song with a massive gives you a massive vision of mm. Jesus, doesn't it? Yeah, and it does it by layering picture upon picture and thought upon thought like yeah. Paul in his doxology sometimes mm, just mm. layering this stuff together um yeah so I would I'd kind of pick that out as a, a classic one he's um interesting isn't he because he comes from a background of being both quite charismatic uh, the church he comes from you know expects the gifts of the spirit is is very comfortable with a with a very um exuberant worship style yeah but it's also a, a tradition which is very much rooted in scripture yeah um and so his lyrics are very biblical and thought through and um theologically um careful and exciting Uh, and then also he's done so much stuff with uh keith getty yeah which is a bit of a you know it's an amazing pairing it's a bit like lennon and mccartney isn't it basically i think so yeah and you know nobody um can argue that in christ alone is not you know one of the yeah songs of the last hundred years yeah. <laughs> in other words, well, it was a song that was written in the last hundred years. <laughs> You're right. It would be difficult to argue. Okay. <laughs> Another um, one which is worth mentioning because it fits so well with our January challenge as a scripture song is The Lord's My Shepherd, mm. isn't it? So that's Psalm 23. Yeah. It's a pretty faithful paraphrase yeah. um, of the psalm. Um, and there's some stuff about that that makes it work so well. 
I like it because actually it marries together two of our things across our challenges. It's a scripture song, but its melodic range is really narrow, isn't it? I think it's in E flat and it maybe just kind of just barely gets it's in around five notes or so, I think, the whole yeah. the whole melody. Again, it's one of those ones as soon as you sing it, everybody joins yeah. in. Nobody finds that one difficult to sing. And yet it is inspiring and it does allow you it, it is evocative as well. It doesn't need to shoot off into a Kind of lots of high notes, does it, in order to achieve that? And I think it's really well done. I mean, given having done or tried the the twelve song challenge for January of setting a piece of scripture, we know how difficult it is. And yet, this is so faithful to the text. Yeah. And you get this. I mean, he's he's made it scan. He's made it um, rhyme. You know, he's he's has he made it rhyme? No, he hasn't made it rhyme. <laughs> he hasn't made it rhyme, but. Uh, you know, he's made it scan really well. He's made it work as a song. Yeah. Uh, and yet, you know that he's followed through the flow of the of the uh, of the psalm. I think that's, that's so powerful. The other thing is um, quite odd in a way that the melody of the chorus is the same as the melody of the verse. It took me quite a while to realise really? that. Really? <laughs> because so, it feels like a chorus, you know, I guess the, the re- yeah, repetition. Yeah. You know, you don't feel like, oh, I'm just singing the same thing again. It feels like, no, this is the chorus part. It's bang the same melody. Now maybe that nice little I think the um the the echo part that you can kind of get the ladies to then repeat the yep. overlapping part. Maybe that's one of the things that helps there. And that's a that's a very simple device, but it, it works well. Yeah, the chorus is interesting. I wonder if that's one of the things I would critique. Mm-hmm. All, you're always on dodgy ground with these classic songs, aren't you, when yeah. you question anything? Because it really obviously works. Yeah. I wonder whether Stuart ever looks back at it and thinks I wonder why I just kept the same tune. I mean, I won—I don't know. I mm. wonder why he did that because it's—it's mm. so unusual to do. Maybe he was just sure that was the right thing. And, and I feel like you could actually—you could keep that same sense of it being much the same by just doing a kind of a lift on the same melody and maybe starting the chorus on a different chord, mm. just to give that bit of light and shade in it, that different colour um, yeah. coming into it. But I say that. Also, where that half the people listening to me are saying, "No, Joel, don't ruin it. It works perfectly well." <laughs> but I, I, I do think you could have kept the familiarity and the ease of singing it. But probably it's changing the harmony actually in the chorus that would that yeah. could be the slightly different thing. You know, bringing a minor or something, mm. which he actually does when he's recorded it, doesn't he? There's a different version of this on one of his albums where it actually starts on chord four yeah. rather than the, the one thing I'd say about this. It's very hymnic. Yeah, it sounds like a hymn, and actually. You could probably do it in quite a traditional church and completely get away with it, um, but there is. Which well, you can, yeah, you do. I mean, I've been around. You know, I go around preaching sometimes, and um, people play it on the organ. Yeah, yeah, and that totally works like that. The version um, that is on the album um, starts on chord four. So, <laughs> get the key. <laughs> the Lord's my shepherd. I'm Chord six, the, I'm in D, so that's B minor. He makes me lie in pastures green. And and that's yeah. how they've arranged it for the album. And it does make it feel more contemporary, I think. So yeah. that's an interesting um, thing to consider with your songs is you could have exactly the same melody, but the way you put the chords together can make it sort of feel one way or the other. Yeah. I want to come back to that counter melody thing as well in the chorus. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I would have once upon a time thought it was a bit cheesy. Mm-hmm. But the more I've seen of church music groups, the more I've realised 
most church music groups have a group of female yeah. unison singers yes. who don't sing harmonies. They no. sing the tune, um, and they're usually female. And that's you know whether that's good or bad, but that's you know that's what lots of churches seem to have. So writing something into your songs, mm. which gives those people a special part to sing, yeah. which adds to the song, but was very clearly defined. I think it's actually really good writing, and I would kind of like to see more of that from us with Resound, actually. Yeah. Giving that kind of group of singers something which which adds to the whole sound, but doesn't demand that they improvise a harmony all the way through. We're halfway through the February challenge, uh, so we'll just uh, reiterate quickly what that is, because we... If you haven't already picked up or joined in, we'd like you to join us in our um, in our twelve song challenge, and it's about um, writing a song about community. Sam, just quickly recap: what's the kind of theme that we want to capture? Yeah, so um, just the nature of us as as church, as God's people, uh, perhaps focusing on some of the the honest parts of that that we're not all the same, but that we are united in Christ. And we talked about either using some biblical metaphors for that, or expanding it to use your own metaphors. Um, thinking about one another, think about exhortation of uh, um, so, so those kinds of things in in the context of church. Uh, um, who are we as the body of Christ? Yeah, brilliant. And we've also set a couple of parameters on it. And one of them is um, what we call the uh, the RKG parameter, Ruth King Goddard parameter. <laughs> that the melody has to be between a C and a B flat. So that's a challenge, and I know people are finding this a challenge. Um, but as we've said several times, sometimes setting those parameters forces your hand creatively yeah. and you do actually find your way to something really singable. And the other is melodically. Um, it's it, it, We talked about things to do with how it jumps around, the kind of making sure there's repetition in it and so on. Trying really hard to write something melodically, which just everybody in the congregation says, yeah, I get this. I can do it. I can join in. Mm. We just That's part of our vision, isn't it? I think yeah. as Resound Worship is we long to see songs written that everybody joins in with yeah. where we don't just say sometimes oh well you know they don't like it well hard luck because i love it mm. somehow we want to see songs where everyone says i love it and i love it because we sing it together not just because i love the melody or yeah, yeah. whatever else it's about shall we turn to uh our interview yeah uh, and let's um hear what stuart had to say Stuart Townend, welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here, Joel. Pleasure to have you. Um, obviously, you're you're a well-known songwriter, um, sung in churches all over the world. Um, I know, and I've told you this before, we had two Stuart Townend songs at uh, our wedding. Um, one of them was the was the obvious one that, that everyone <laughs> has. Um, and then the other one was um, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness. Which, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. So nice I don't know, one. I don't know whether everyone has that one, but I've always thought that's a superb song. No, I have heard somebody else do that at a, a wedding as well. Yeah, Lovely. so that's okay. You're it's not alone. A, it's a pretty thankful time, isn't it, really? Yeah, it If you're not be. thankful at your wedding, then, <laughs> then you need cheering up, I think. So, like I say, you're, you know, in some respects, one of the world's most well-known um worship songwriters um and this is a podcast for grassroots songwriters in local churches and of course you weren't always well-known Stuart Townend at one point you were Stuart from some areas in the wardrobe or whatever it would be who yes. started out writing worship songs can you tell us a little bit about sort of the, the beginnings of your journey in, in worship songwriting yeah sure it's um 
I think probably for most people, it's not a straightforward journey. And certainly for me and for most people I know who regularly write songs now, they kind of never set about to do that. They never thought that's going to be my career. Because, um, of course, when many of us started, there was no kind of scene particularly. Mm. I think it was just that, that um, worship was, was taking on a new dynamic mm. in the local churches and there was a need for new songs. And so people began to write them. So for myself, I kind of... I. Um, growing up uh, as a kid I had three older brothers two of whom played instruments and so we used to do music together and I'd do a little bit of writing but they did most of the writing so we performed a lot but it was more along the kind of you know youth praise line of you know kind of songs to songs to not so much songs to sing along to but you know performance songs or songs about becoming a Christian or whatever so it was when I came to Brighton uh, studying here at university at Sussex University and got involved in a local church uh, uh, called Clarendon which is now known as Church Christ the King CC it's part of the New Frontiers thing. And the guy called Dave Fellingham kind of took me under his wing because he knew I played piano and he got me involved. I began to play as part of his band. So I firsthand saw him leading and he was writing songs because he'd been part of the, this movement for a few years. And uh, so I kind of was accompanying him but never thought about writing. But, but then he encouraged me to start leading more with him. So I would lead alongside him and take sections and, and lead it and choose songs for s- sections of the worship time. And um, there'd be times when we'd get to a certain point in worship and I'd think, oh, it'd be really good to sing about this right now and couldn't think of a song that did it. So I said this to Dave and Dave said, well, why don't you write them? then so I'd never intended to write so I began to think about writing and it just began to develop from there of course regularly leading gave me an opportunity to kind of understand how songs worked so you were kind of on a subconscious level educating yourself as to you know oh this song works and it works if we sing this sort of thing and it works if the song has this sort of dynamic that actually lifts people and connects with people at a certain point and you take them along with you and so I kind of began tentatively to start writing uh, those things with kind of having that certain education of leading worship in mind and you know I was really struck and and followed closely what people like Dave were writing, but also people like Graham Kendrick, because I toured a little bit with Graham, playing keys with Graham. And, uh, you know, he would quite often in the, you know, after a song, would start singing something spontaneously. And you could see in that setting, once you were in that kind of environment, the, the creative juices do flow. And so he would begin to sing something out, which six months later would turn into a song. So you saw sometimes the sort of the, the birth... Or the the conception yeah. of a sort, not even quite the birth, but you know that. Absolutely, <laughs> in, in yeah, it kind of coming out of the ether or whatever, and and developing. But it was interesting, and I think what I noticed with Graham, he was willing to do that, but he he was very much it came out of the flow of. I, I for example, I feel much more inspired to write a song having led a time of worship, right? Because somehow you're in that place, you kind of can feel that dynamic, yeah, and that's much easier for me than getting up in the morning, you know, brushing my teeth and then going, right, let's write a song. So do you do you do that at all? Do you do you set aside a songwriting day, or is it just? Uh, no, I intend to. <laughs> I always intend to, and yeah. never actually do. So there have been times when. Uh, I mean, I am the world's... Be- the, what I am better at than songwriting or anything is procrastination. Right. Okay. That's really my strength. Yeah. And so I will kind of put 
things off and kind of I'll think, oh yeah, today I'll write a song. So let's start with a coffee yeah. and you know <laughs> yeah. contemplate. Then you you know accidentally switch the telly on and yeah. watch a little bit of Homes Under the Hammer, a bit of YouTube and so on, a few yeah. few cat videos. <laughs> yeah, and so I never actually get around to it. So what I've learned is what the only way that I can actually do this is to, in a fit of absolute madness, set a deadline right. for something that I must have songs ready for a yeah. certain time. Usually an album. Yeah. And then I panic. And that actually helps me to kind of get myself focused. There definitely is in writing, though, I find there is a momentum that you can build up. I yeah. think it is very hard from cold to write a song. I, what I find is if I kind of think, right, this is a season when I need to start writing songs and I've got that deadline in three months time that I need to do it. So I will start, even if I just start reading or just, you know, go for a walk or whatever. I, I'm actually, I've somehow put myself in the place where I'm, it's a bit like, you know, you're beginning to run. Yeah. You're beginning to jog, you're beginning to train for it and you start reading some stuff and then you actually find you're in a place to be more receptive to ideas. And so I will find myself, even though I'm not conscious of it, singing a melody or coming up with a melody or sitting down at the piano or getting an idea for a, a line or an idea for a song or whatever. But I kind of, there's certain steps I can take to put myself into that place. Yeah. Which would be making a conscious effort to think, this is a season of writing. Yeah. And, you know, maybe read something or whatever and just put yourself in that place. Well, let's take, a, let's take an example. Um, one of... Uh, I mean, to me, it's one of your earlier songs. I don't know. You might have been going for 20 years when, when you wrote it, but um, How Deep the Father's Love, which I, I don't know, is this a, a true story that you, you once met somebody who said, oh, you wrote How Deep the Father's Love. I thought you were dead. I do get, I thought you were dead. <laughs> Quite a bit. Um, I think because I, I have to say How Deep the Father's Love was very much out of, out of the usual thing I've been writing. I can't remember when I wrote, I think it was, I can't remember when, it was about 90s. I'm going to say 95. I've got got a strangely Uh, photographic memory for copyright lines. (laughs) I think I wrote my first worship song in 1990, so I've been writing for a few years. Um, And this one kind of, having worked on a few songs, it it kind of, it it actually started with a melody that popped into my head. Again, that momentum thing was probably going because I was working on other songs. And then this idea came through of just kind of popped into my head. And it was one of those moments where you go, Oh, I kind of like that melody. I must have stolen it from somewhere. Yeah. Well, it's, immediately I, it think, sounds it's, like it's classic, doesn't it? So I can, yeah. I can understand why you thought that. Um, you know, so you immediately play it for everybody to go, do you recognise this song? Yeah. Um, and when it kind of cleared that actually it seemed like it was okay, um, the words again actually probably came fairly, fairly easily. But again, because I think I was in that place of... You know, and, and in a sense, I find, you know, I don't have to do necessarily kind of loads and loads of, you know, kind of reading and reading to, to get some ideas or because I suppose I, I'm fortunate to have had a background where actually I was brought up knowing the Bible really well. Yeah. So I kind of feel it's there for me to be able to draw on. Yeah. Um, so it kind of came out of the, yeah, it was a different style to what I was used to. And um, but it was one of those fortunate melodies where it just the whole thing just seemed to kind of fit together and was very simple. And it is quite simple. And I kept, I thought it's a simple song to so keep the words fairly simple. So rather than being declaration, it is kind of how amazing what God has done. Yeah. And looking at, at the cross and, and, you know, all those kind of things that, you know, that kind of like just begin to kind of fill your mind as you contemplate 
uh, the cross. And I just began to to write that stuff. And and when you begin to kind of follow along that line, then I think you do get ideas. And though that sermon you heard four years ago that had a really interesting yeah. idea about it you kind of pull that in and you know but I, I'm very aware that that song in terms of you know it was my sin that held him there um that about it was about the sacrifice and I was in a church that was very strongly preaching the whole message of grace mm. and you know that this was all down to what Christ has done and so you know it was kind of exploring that really as yeah. a song did you so you kicked off literally with the line how deep the father's love for us once you had that melody come it was that you know, was that your kind of opening line? Did you write the verses in the order that we see them? Do you know? Do you remember? Um, it is a long time ago now, yeah. so I'm trying to remember. Um, I think I did write... Yeah, I think it came fairly uh, fairly naturally. I think I did start with that first verse. Yeah. I think I did start. How do the Father's love for us? was very conscious that actually in the style of it, it needed to have a good, strong rhyming pattern. So, because I think it does go one and three, two and four, does it? No, it goes two and four, but it, yeah, but in terms of pattern. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of felt fairly uh, fairly natural and fairly easy to, yeah. to get into and fairly sequential. It seems to me that that marks in some ways the beginning of a part of a journey for you where you wrote something very metrical and you know you're quite well known for doing a lot of that and it, you know most of what yeah. i've seen you write more recently is metered yeah is that where it began or is it something you'd always just kind of be comfortable in no it was certainly where it began and yeah. i had no intention of doing that i think the songs i was writing before that were more contemporary yeah more modern in terms of style um and uh so it came as a bolt out of the blue and it is interesting because it, it i didn't kind of then start to write hymns i kind of just thought oh that's interesting and then went back to what i was writing and what's kind of interesting is that probably some of my most productive period of writing has been co-writing with keith getty and the only reason i met with keith getty in 2000 was uh you know and i'm sure he won't mind me saying this but you know he's from a classical background he hated all modern worship songs he thought they were all appalling um you know he just thought they were so you know anodyne and so musically ridiculous yeah um and you know no content and the only one he liked was how deep the father's love that was the that was the one so that's that's why he in the first place kind of said oh i'd quite like to meet this guy yeah um, was because of How Deep the Father's Love. So then we met in 2000. He sent me a CD uh, of some of his ideas. I didn't think anything more of it, but listened to the CD. Had three three tracks of him playing a tune with you know piano accompaniment. And the first one of that was just a really, really good melody that kind of really inspired me. And that was In Christ Alone. So actually, In Christ Alone would never have happened without How Deep the Father's Love. And none of those others you know, would have happened. So Power of the Cross and all those things that I wrote with Keith wouldn't have happened without this thing happening five, six years before of just kind of like, oh, that's a sort of a hymn tune. I think I'll, you know, and you grab a hold of it and do it. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out I could do this. Well, yeah, it was interesting because I played it for Dave Fellingham because I wasn't sure about it. And I thought, is it a bit, is it a bit sweet? Is it a bit sort of, you know, cliched? And Dave classically went, yeah, it's all right. (laughs) so yeah i'll try it so i tried it out and then it just kind of developed a momentum and and i think almost every great song has a story where somebody uh, it was played to somebody that the composer looked up to who said 
uh, maybe you could keep the chorus or something <laughs> yeah, along those lines. It might make a tag or something for another song. I think that's Tim Hughes's experience, wasn't it, with uh, Here with, I Am Here to Worship? worship. I think. Yeah, I've I heard think, that story. Uh, Mike Pillow actually nearly killed it, I think. <laughs> that's right. From what I remember. So, so let's talk about so your partnership with um, Keith. That's yeah. you know that's been quite prolific. Um, and in Christ Alone, if we take that as an example, when you heard that melody, did you hear? Here's a song about, or did, you know, did, did you or did you think, oh, what would I like to write about, or how mm. how did that work? Um, again, I I can't quite unpack exactly what happened because Keith now says he thought it should be about Christ. Okay, and 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 I don't quite remember him saying that, but he must have pointed me that direction. <laughs> Certainly, when I heard that melody, I thought this is a grand majestic hymn. Yeah. So it has to be a grand majestic theme. And that immediately makes you think, okay, this is the, you know, this has to be about Christ. And I think from that point thinking, this should be charting his life. Yeah. His death, his resurrection and, and kind of doing that. So I think I was already going that way. And I think whatever, however, between us, we said, yeah, that's a good route to go. Yeah. And so... I remember writing that. And again, that kind of felt fairly sequential, although I think I wrote quite, probably quite a few verses, um, but definitely charting that. And I remember each time writing the verse. And again, building up that momentum of getting there. So verse one, probably for me in some ways, is the weakest verse because it's the verse I started with, which is kind of setting the direction. And then verse two, you know, which, you know, would be kind of like talking about his death and working that, and then you know, and, and then the 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 resurrection in verse three. By that time, you're kind of really involved in it. I remember feeling quite emotional, and there's a kind of a wow, this is incredible. Yeah. And therefore, verse four just kind of like spilled out in terms of so, what does this mean for us? And that's where all the the lines that, in a sense, are probably mark the song most clearly in terms of you know, um, you know, oh, oh, I suppose all the big things from life first cried to find breath, Jesus yeah, yeah. commands my destiny, you know, power of hell, no scheme of man will ever pluck me from his hand, you know, and the kind of like, it's once you kind of really grasped the enormity of those first three verses, then verse four was just kind of like, you know, it kind of just sparks the the creativity and you just kind of like spill out all these phrases. Is that how stuff. it felt? It actually was pouring out by that Yeah, stage. I was really quite emotional mm. during the last verse. Oh, that's I was lovely. writing it, just going, wow, it's just amazing. And, you know, it's the, the creative aspect is is something that is very hard to pin down yeah because you can't really analyze how it works it's almost like you can look at it afterwards and kind of go oh, i can see how that works but actually when you're doing it it just is it's a spark of something it is a little spark of a, you know a kind of a a divine gift somehow i mean that sounds a little bit grand but it, there is something well, it is, that when yeah. you get into that creativity it's hard to define and it is something mysterious, ultimately. So did you finish that song and think, I've got a winner here? Or do you no. have that sense when you write? Or... Um, I thought, actually, this really works. That's all I thought. Yeah. I didn't really have much experience of it, of any song being really, really big. <laughs> right. Um, but I thought, actually, this really works. And um, I remember sending the lyrics to Keith. And... Keith made one change, which actually oh, was... Oh, come a, on, you've got to tell us. Which was yeah. a massive change, actually, and he changed the first line. Ah. So, because, again, it was his sort of ability to... It's almost like his entrepreneur, entrepreneurial ability. Yeah. Because I, I think I had 
if I remember rightly, um, my hope is found in Christ alone. He is my light, my strength, my song. Something, something. And I had cornerstone to rhyme with in Christ alone. So something, something, cornerstone. Cornerstone, yeah. Da, da, da. And he said, it should start within Christ alone. And I kind of, and I resisted it because I thought I don't want to lose the the rhyme in line three. Oh, I said, yeah, because I quite like the line of the rhymes of one and three. But he said, no, it's much stronger to do that. And of course, he's absolutely right because then you go in Christ alone. Yeah, my hope which is, is where that's you want to start. Of, that's where you want to start. My and actually, you then ended up with that inner rhyme, which really yeah, glues those. Which I didn't intend. So it's cornerstone, together. and then I just had to come up with the solid ground. Yeah. It sounded like found. Uh, it rhymed with found and stuff. So, um, so yeah. Sometimes I mean, then that is another lesson in a sense. Sometimes you hold on to stuff. Yeah. And actually, you need to go. No, I need to let go of that because there is something that will be better. Yeah. Even though my, I, my pet love of those rhymes, I wanted to keep. But if I had done that, I think to sing, you know, let's sing together. My hope is found. It's not nearly as good as <laughs> let's sing together in Christ. In Christ alone. alone. Yeah. You know, and Absolutely. it makes a difference. It so. does. Yeah, and it meant you were actually able to call your song the first line, which I yeah, think right. right. I find easier. this fine useful for filing, if nothing else. <laughs> um, we asked our. Um, listeners for one or two ideas for questions and one of them actually Andy Irons asked um, do you prefer uh, writing lyrics to someone else's music music to someone else's lyrics or would you rather just write the whole lot together Uh, that's a really good question Um, I feel more on safe ground writing lyrics so I, I think I'm a lyricist more than a melody writer I can kind of come up with melodies but um, I listen to most of other people's melodies and go, oh, they're much better than I could come up with. And so in a sense, my safe ground and where I feel the strongest is actually writing lyrics to melodies. Yeah. I've never tried writing a melody to a lyric and I've never worked with anybody who works that way. I know for some people it does work, but I think it's very unusual to do it that way. So, you know, there are obvious kind of, you know, examples of people who break that kind of cardinal rule so you've got elton john and bernie Taupin. so bernie Taupin would write the lyrics and then elton john had such a, an ability to hold the melody and craft it that he came up with great melodies yeah to lyrics but most of the time you because in a sense the melodies are more mysterious way you know it kind of comes more spontaneously it's very hard to sit down and go i'm going to write a great melody here you can't do it by numbers i don't think there's something mysterious about it so then it's easier to fit the lyrics to that so i feel more comfortable doing that so i love when i'm working with keith him sending melodies i sort through his melodies and go yeah. i hate that one i hate that one <laughs> right. i hate that one that one's okay yeah and kind of you know take two out of ten or something uh, do you edit his, his melodies when you know would you get it yeah and say, sometimes i just go that chorus sounds like yeah. every other chorus you've ever written. Yeah. And sometimes when we sit together, we'll then take a turn each on the piano and try coming up with, with choruses. And sometimes I will come up with something that's, that actually works better, having got that verse in place to come into the chorus. So sometimes that will work and we will craft things a little bit together. Um, but generally, yeah, I'm, I'm a words guy and I like... Um, fitting the I, I enjoy the fun of fitting lyrics to so, melodies so this interests me a lot because obviously you know you are an accomplished musician you know you people have taken you on tour as their keyboard player you can write brilliantly singable melodies some of those classic songs that you've written like beautiful savior and so on and you you're a worship leader you could be the kind of the whole package words music and performer 
but actually you've gradually chosen something which is, is, is kind of discarding one part of that or not claiming ownership of one part of that. And yet our, a lot of the model that we see of worship leaders, uh, of wor- sorry, worship songwriters at the moment, songwriters, is yeah. they do the lot. They write the words, they write the tune, they sing the songs. It's, it's all based around their vocal range and, and all th- these kinds yeah. of things. Do you think there's yeah. something to be said for... Because um, there's a, a lot of collaboration going on at the moment, or certainly, you know, we see the yeah. sort of five names at the bottom of every song these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure how much of that is actually a separation of of words and melody. And do you think that's something we ought to pursue more? I think collaboration is something really worth exploring. Even if you always write songs on your own, I think it is a really good education. Uh, of course, it doesn't work with everyone. And it's actually important to find the people that you really work with. So, for example, with Keith, it's a very good fit because he doesn't write lyrics. And I think from time to time, not every time, but from time to time, he comes up with a melody that is absolutely classic and is fantastic. You can instantly sing it. It's just really musical. And, uh, you know, at that point, I think he's functioning in his element far better. I, I think his degree of skill in that is far greater than mine. Yeah. And, you know, you can be a, a good musician. You know, I can play keys and play guitar and, and read music and do all the stuff. So I can do the classical stuff and the reading stuff. But actually, I don't feel I have... I think my writing feels a little bit more crafted mm. and a little more contrived in the sense of controlling what goes on. And I don't think that's a good... That doesn't always work when writing melodies. The, yeah. the melody is a more mysterious kind of thing. So I kind of, I, I, I don't think that's just that I've just chosen to write uh, lyrics. I just quite often think, actually, I think I have a limit in terms of how well I write melodies. And the, certainly with Keith, I think we found that by working together, we produce something greater than we could have done on our own. Yeah. And therefore, that is worth doing. And I think for many of us, if we really are honest and get feedback from people, you know, if we really to say, look, tell me what my strengths and weaknesses are. Some of us actually, if we were to admit it, would go, I'm not that good on lyrics, but I can write some good melodies. And the other might be true to actually go, actually, do you know what? It's not I'm going to stop writing melodies, but actually I think there are other people who write melodies better and therefore for the sake of a great song um, uh, and a, a really more valuable gift to the church yeah i'm gonna take some melodies from some other people and do what i do best which is fit lyrics to them yeah um and you know you see you know matt is is matt redman is co-writing a whole load of songs at the moment yeah you know so they're obviously he's working with people who are adding something that he couldn't do on his own in christ alone i guess is a great example because you could have written the words and you could have written a melody for those words and it probably been pretty good but it wouldn't have been that uh, it wouldn't what you, i guess what you're saying wouldn't have been that caliber of melody which actually married with those words yeah. is what gives us that great yeah. song yeah and and it's true to say those words would never have come into existence unless i'd heard that melody you know it wasn't that, that i had words sitting around it was like that that melody made me go that put me into a different place creatively so it, it never. So in that sense, no, I couldn't have written a melody to it because the words would never have happened without that yeah, melody. That's true. One of the things we're doing with um, listeners to the podcast is a twelve-song challenge, and the idea of this is something that Sam and I came up with while we were 
recording one day was we wanted to write a bit more we want to get more in the habit of writing and a bit like mm. you described not always be in a cold place but actually have some momentum going with what we're doing and so our plan is to do a uh, but it's also to learn at the same time. So each month we're setting kind of parameters for the kind of song. So this in January um, we're doing scripture songs, which is you know, we've we've set five different passages of scripture and said to people, we want you to set this sort of as mm. closely as you can without it becoming a memory verse and you know mm. try and think creatively about how you do that whether you draw out a chorus and, and all these kinds of things listening to you um talk i wonder whether a good um a good exercise for us in one of the months might be to challenge everyone to go and find either a melody writer or a lyric writer and only mm. write half the song because mm. most of the people who are involved i think are are doing the whole lot yeah I think that'd be quite an exciting challenge. No, I think that would be good. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it'd be helpful. As I say, it's not going to work with everybody, so you're going to have to. You know, it is. It's a bit of a speed date type thing. You know, so you need to kind of work with as many different people as you can, and then work out who is, you know, where uh, like it's clicking. It. <laughs> so where you've got complementary gifts. So that's, yeah, I see. That's quite good. Okay, that's good. Okay, Song, we'll call it speed dates, songwriter speed songwriter. dating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great. This could be the new concept. It could really take off. I like the idea. That's we should do good. it any time we're at one of those kind of songwriters gatherings. Yeah, they should. How would, wouldn't that be good? Because often, otherwise, you sort of get lumped into a little group with. Well, not always, yeah. but you know, sometimes. You, yeah. And it would be quite nice to just have a session of speed dating, spend about three minutes to try writing with somebody. At the end of it, you'll write down your little card who you liked most. Everyone says, I'd like to go in Keith's group because he does really good tunes. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yes, absolutely. Um, yes, it's and, what you do with the people who are left in the I corner know. of the room who nobody wants to write with. I think that's so. the challenge of speed dating. I've never tried it, but I suppose that no. somebody's thought this through already. <laughs> Very good. In addition to that, I, I mean, that idea of being focused, I think, is a really important thing mm. about... Um, you know, setting yourself goals and parameters. Because I, I, so many people I meet kind of say, you know, I'd like to write a song, and uh, but they come with very vague ideas about, yeah. you know, basically want it to, you know, exalt God and, and want to say how much I love him and stuff. But actually, I regularly now, the, the, a significant number of the songs I write, whether I'm writing on my own or with Keith, or for example with Keith, we sit down together and go, what songs do we need in the church right now? Okay, yeah. You know, have we got a song about this? And I suppose the basis of that is an understanding that um, songs aren't just for us expressing our feelings to God. Yeah, They are actually um, part of the, the process of, of declaring who he is and singing about who he is, is we're reminding ourselves of the truths of the gospel. And, you know, the old cliche that actually, you know, people learn their, learn their theology, i.e. who God is, more through songs these days than they do through sermons um you know the the fact is that that we need to understand the power of songs and what they do in terms of building up our faith and therefore if we are learning largely our understanding of who god is and our remembering of who god is through songs mm. then the big question is what kind of a picture are we painting of who god is week to week because i go to if i go to some churches i'll find the picture is very small mm. the picture is just he's someone here who is here to uh, you know he's faithful and he's good to me and we sing all these things and you know he makes me feel good and mm. I love that intimacy. He wants to be intimate with me. But is that the whole picture of who God is in our lives? Is he just a God who brings intimacy 
and brings warm feelings to us and we're reminding uh, we're reminded of how much he loves us or is there more to sing is there more to say so we've begun to go down a line of writing songs on different subjects so i've written a song about the hope that we mm. have in him because if i was to say to you right now what is the hope we have in christ it probably take you a little while to go through to work out what it is or what is the wisdom of god wrote a couple of albums about the wisdom of god i'm thinking i know he's wise but i don't know why it matters yeah what what does his wisdom what difference does his wisdom make to my life what yeah. you know and to my understanding of the way the world work, works um on the last time we wrote a song about money because we're going, the thing that nobody ever talks about is our yeah. attitude towards money and possessions. Well, if it's an important thing, and it seems to be from the way that Jesus talks about it so much, why the heck do we not sing about it? Yeah. So we should sing about what Jesus said about money. Now, that's not a song that gets the arms in the air Yeah. in that sense of, oh, I'm really enjoying this experience. But actually, it could make a massive difference to the way we live our lives for God and the way we honor God with, the, with our attitude towards possessions. So I would also challenge writers to think, actually, what really matters to God about the way I live right now and what song should I be writing? What do we not really understand about the gospel? Yeah. And what's, therefore, we should be singing about it. And that means, before you start, you, you get your Bible out and do massive Bible studies and get every... Before I wrote that song about wisdom, I got every passage about wisdom and mm. thought about it for days and days and thought, what does this mean? And, you know, the, that wisdom song was a really interesting one because it kind of went through the whole thing. There's the wisdom of God in creation because it says it's wisely made. And that whole, you know, Old Testament thing of wisdom being alongside God when it comes the wisdom of God in the gospel, but the wisdom of God in the way that he deals with our lives. Mm. Everything that he brings is actually the wisest way to go, even though it can be a painful way or a difficult way or a way with challenges or a way with sorrow and grief. It still is the wisest way. And just looking at those things and understanding, making sense of our lives in the context uh, of what we know about who God is. Is that been a journey for you to get to that place? Because I, I, I certainly think about myself when I started out writing songs. Um, I, and early on, there's, there's a kind of need for feedback in, and I don't mean sort of critique, mm. but you know, like feedback from the congregation. I've, I've written this song, is it any good? Yes, I can count the number of arms in the air. It must be okay. Mm. And, and maybe it's harder at, at the outset to say, actually, I'm going to write something that feeds people rather than feeds back, if you know yeah. what I mean. And maybe it's something as you mature as a songwriter, some of that develops. Yeah, I, I, I suppose so. If the expectation is in your congregation, you know, just give us songs that, that draw us closer to God... Yeah, you know, in inverted commas, I think, because actually a song about money can draw us closer to God and closer aligned to his heart. Um, you know, so I, I, I think there is that element that sometimes you and you do need both and you do need the response. You do need to help people to articulate their response mm. to God. But um, at the same time, I think, uh, you know, it, we do have a lot of songs about God's love and God's faithfulness. Not that we should stop writing about that, but be aware, actually, if you want to so a song to have a distinctive place in the repertoire of a local church's songs, you might want to write about something different than mm. what everybody else is writing about, because actually that might give it a place. So the thing that immediately springs to mind about, to, for me, is, is anybody writing songs about refugees mm. and about what God thinks about the refugee and, and exploring the concept of the refugee? Mm. And how we are all, in a sense, you know, there's loads of ways you could look at it. We yeah. are, in a sense, all refugees in this world. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an opportunity for us to express our compassion, to, you know, and actually inform our opinion. It's really important that Christians have the right godly attitude 
towards what the crises that are going on, the humanitarian crises that are going on in the world yeah. at the moment. Yeah, it could make a massive difference to somebody's attitude towards mm. that. And there's a role for that. Uh, there's a role for the prolific songwriter in that, but there's a role for the local church songwriter as well, isn't there? Absolutely. And sometimes that isn't yeah. even more specific. You know, yeah. It, it, what's the sermon series? What does God seem to be saying to us? What are we experiencing yeah. as a church or a town or, or yeah. those kind of things? Yeah, and Absolutely. exploring that through song in the context of in the context yeah. of worship, but like you say, not necessarily all about heartfelt response. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in our church, there are a couple of times when. Actually, we experienced, I remember one time um, as a church, we went through the death of a, a, a child, um, mm. of a 12-year-old uh, child, and Lou Fellingham wrote a song that actually said some things that actually are useful for all, for all churches and would be particularly useful for people going through that experience. But for us, it had a particular weight and a particular kind of you know, power for us singing that mm. because it was what we'd walked through together as as a local congregation mm. and uh, absolutely i think it, that's really powerful and there's biblical precedents for that obviously mm. you know song of moses song you know all the all the old testament songs are kind of like god did this for us 20 years yeah. ago or 10 years ago you know this is what we walked through this is who we are because of what we went through there who do you write songs for these days do you write for the world at large do you write for your church do you write for Stuart to sing in to an audience of one i mean what what do you have in mind when you do that? Um, I do write... I mean, I always encourage people in learning their craft to write for the local church. Yeah. Can you hear your congregation singing this? Is this what your congregation... Is this what you'd want your congregation to be thinking and saying at this point? So I think that's very important to have that. I very rarely write any sort of performance song. I sometimes kind of dabble in different things, not to perform it, but perhaps sometimes to say something in a way that isn't the usual way that we say it mm. in, you know, congregations or whatever, or, you know, something that's a bit more kind of, I don't know, folky or protest song or, you know, a thing like Vagabonds, which is kind of more like, you know, a, a kind of a, you know, Pogues kind of style yeah. um, kind of thing that actually you could sing in a pub and some people do sing it outside the, the, of a church context but generally I'm thinking what does the local church um, you know what would it be good to, what do I feel the local church needs to be saying yeah. uh, right now and so I, I, I do have them in mind and thinking about the local congregation yeah. but I suppose increasingly you're aware that you have a wider audience so I'm thinking what do churches generally need to sing about so you yeah. know for me thinking actually i would like to write a song about refugees and about you know that that that, that thing of asylum and home you know home mm. is a massive subject for example do we have any songs that speak about home so i'm thinking about these kind of concepts that matter to us in our society right now as christians mm. i don't have a place i don't have a, a context in which i can sing songs to people who aren't christians Although yeah. that's something I'm beginning to think about in terms of a context of a, a broader context where actually we might do some sort of event where where I'm just drawing people who are just spiritually searching for stuff. Mm. And the songs that we've got in our repertoire of church stuff isn't appropriate because it wouldn't make sense to most people because mm. it's written from the other side of the fence. It's written from a... It requires uh, and, and um, uh, assumes a certain amount of knowledge uh, in order to be able to understand that song. So I want to write a song that actually, or write songs that actually would be a way in to understanding mm. a deeper, have a deeper understanding of what 
what the heck this world is all about, what life is all about, who am I, mm. you know, and songs like that that I think would be really important. Congregational, so still songs that people could sing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's where I'm at at the, uh, yeah. at the moment. What about those songs then, you know, talking about exploring um, refugees or home or, or other things? Do you think our models of worship limit sometimes the opportunities to, or certain models limit opportunities to sing certain kinds of songs? Sometimes you can feel a bit like you're having to write songs within a, a kind of quite tight parameters because they're the kind of songs that people will sing and they haven't really got a place for anything else in their, in their structures and their, their styles of worship. I think we, it's difficult because you actually think this is what the people want, but actually we are reinforcing what people want by continuing to do that. So we yeah. get ourselves in this kind of circle. And I think we do limit, I think there's a, you know, we, we limit ourselves musically. Uh, I think we've, I, in certain areas of the church, and I, I'm not saying this is a ba um, bad thing, I think it's, it's dominance uh, it's ubiquity is actually not a, a positive thing because I think we need part of this. But I think we have become quite hooked on and, and addicted to mm. a certain musical sound which creates a certain emotional feeling uh, which probably is designed to get us to places of uh, an emotional high and a yeah. response of commitment and a... a uh, and, a, and a sense of intimacy and yeah. there's a particular musical style that you know quite often people are talking about if you write outside of that some people would go well that's not really a worship song because it doesn't yeah. sound like this and I think therefore we've got ourselves in a sort of a box yeah um, and therefore we've limited our understanding and our experience of of being in his presence yeah. And we've limited it to a particular emotional kind of thing accompanied by a particular musical sound. And I think that is a, a not a good place to be. And I think we need to break out of that, sometimes by using different instruments, sometimes by, by doing things in a different way. Um, and uh, I think we need to discover God in diff different musical genres and while we're singing about different kinds of things. So I think we are quite lim I think we have limited ourselves and I think we've built an expectation which of course the problem is you you it's it's that pop idol thing is once you've kind of got to that sort of you know the the kind of the the soul singer singing a particular kind of song you know you think oh well that's what works so we'll have more of that and more of that but now you know I can't bear watching X Factor or pop idol because it's all exactly the same thing all the time Mm. it's the same sound and yeah. ultimately people will go do you know what? this is really boring we need something else but it kind of limits it because it says this is what the people want and you have to sometimes step outside of what you think the people want in order yeah. to get to another place for people to go this is so fresh yeah you know it's it's you know the the bohemian rhapsody you know thing which is actually can you do a, a kind of an operatic type you know song of seven minutes or longer as a single you know, because, yeah. of course, everybody said it won't work. You can't do it. That's not what people want. And then, of course, somebody did it. Yeah. And now you go, that's the most incredible song, you know. Yeah. Obviously, in your recent recordings, you've, to, to my ears, certainly have stepped outside that worship sound, if I, we can call it that, in terms of 
you know, in terms of style, instrumentation and so on, particularly gone down a sort of more folky route. And I'm quite interested to know whether that's simply because you just like the sound of folk music or actually that the style of music reflects something of how you imagine worship could be that within the kind of mm. the singing together and the making of music and so on. It's kind of all those things. Um, it was definitely a positive self-conscious conscious decision to go let's do something different but it's partly out of actually because i'm getting you know i do tire of pumping bass and electric guitar riff kind of in a u2e kind of way (laughs) and and you know i'm really bored by that yeah you know and uh you know uh well (laughs) uh you know i find that you know, it's just it's it's musically it's kind of vaguely interesting, but not very. And while everybody else is jumping up and down and listening to the next Coldplay album, I go, "This is boring." You know, I just yeah. it doesn't move me yeah. in a way that lots of other kind of music moves me, and it's not creative in a way that other kinds of music is. So there was a, definitely a, a conscious move to go out of that, but it was also, I think, a recognition of of actually the power of folk music as a collective experience mm. that actually. You know the 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 kind of the Coldplay U two type thing leads towards kind of you know uh, that that performance that kind of you know arena yeah. stadium kind of thing that and actually you can participate in but for it's, the audience isn't it it's yeah a, well it's a it is experience yeah yeah I think it can be very easily because it's a kind of massive sound it's yeah. it's removed the sound of the congregation yeah. You know, whereas a hymn, you require a congregation to be singing it for it to make any sense. With this, you've removed the sound of the congregation and they can participate if they want. But you don't need it because it's all there. It's the wall of sound kind of thing. Um, The folk music thing is very interesting for all sorts of reasons, which have lots of parallels with with church music. Because folk music is supposed to be participative. It's supposed to be songs that people know from different places. So folk musicians from different places can come together and sing the songs because it's part of the... The kind of the, the the collection of songs that everybody knows is part of the folk music tradition. Um, they're great, strong melody-driven songs as opposed to rhythm-driven things. Yeah. Folk songs tend to be that. It's the strong melody. They tell stories. You know, they're kind of like accounts of things that have happened. Yeah. And the folk music. Thing. So there's all these sort of things that you go. Actually, this is very close to what a church song should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so to think, actually, that's you. And also it has instruments that actually people tend to learn to play growing up. Yeah. So, you know, it's got, you know, so it's got flutes and it's got violins and stuff, yeah. which is what many people actually, you know, learn to play. Yeah. And, you know, so it's actually quite sad that, you know, we've kind of, you know, I go to some churches where they're going, you know, we're really trying to move on in our worship, but it's really difficult. We haven't got a drummer or an electric guitarist. We're praying them in. Yeah. You know, and you go, well, what have you got? Well, we've got a couple of flutes and a violin. Yeah. And it's like they're, what they're itching to do is get rid of those so that they can have what God really <laughs> likes, yeah. which is drums and bass and electric guitars. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny that actually I, I often think it's amusing to think that 30 years ago, these fights were going on in churches to get drums and electric guitars in churches. Now we can't get them out. Yeah. You know, it's kind of now they're in there. You know, it's impossible to remove them because it stops being worship. You know, yeah. so I, you know, I kind of trying to set up an alternative to go. Actually, you could 
you could do this with the instruments that that are you know acoustic instruments many of which people in our congregation grew up learning to play well some mm. you know a handful you've usually got a you know grade five or a grade eight flautist or violinist yeah, in absolutely. your congregation somewhere yeah so you know and yet we don't use them because we've because nobody is making the sound where people go oh we could do that mm. in church so that's what we're trying to do so that's great that's what we want to do too. <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, you're I absolutely right i agree and the you know we've observed this it seems to me almost every church has at least two flute players and yeah and so on but they don't nobody knows what to do with them and they no. sort of become it's as if their skill and their training and and so on is isn't really allowed to contribute to worship or is a kind of a is something you have to put up with because you haven't got got these yeah. other instruments and yet actually what you've got are the, the resources of what has made the most beautiful music in the world for centuries yeah. Yeah. um it's daft yeah. to abandon it isn't it absolutely and i think what we need to do is actually we need to explore that field and find out how to convey majesty and intimacy yeah. and you know those different elements that we have you know that you know are done in so you know that we're familiar with through the rock sound yeah we need to find that in the folk sound as well and of course you know and different musical genres have different um aspects and have different strengths so the thing that we're finding is you know with the folk thing one of the things that folk does really well is joy you know double time yeah Yeah. you know reels and stuff is actually there's nothing quite like it you know it's not like the the heaviness of the of the celebratory rock thing, which tends to be quite sort of down, 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 It's unself-conscious as well, isn't it? There's, it's a, you can be unself-conscious in that yeah. joyful folk in a way that well, you sort of can't in the something. intense rock. It, yeah, it releases something uh, that actually you can't find anywhere else. Yeah. So, uh, as well as having the beauty of harmonic things of you know of, of so you, I think you can do the intimacy and you can do the beauty and the. Uh, uh, and and those things that we're looking for, but we I, just need to kind of we need to experiment with that, and we need to kind of create templates that people can go, oh yeah, okay, I can do that, and it moves me, and it yeah. does draw me closer to God, and it's deepening my understanding of who God is, and yeah. deepening my relationship with Him, without it just being in a single style. Yeah, Stuart, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, we really appreciated what you've had to say. I've got one final question for you, and it is the question that we ask all of our um, interviewees, and it is this: If uh, it, what one song by someone else do you think? Oh, I wish I'd written that. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be your favourite. It might be one where you think, you know, I, I could never write a song like that, but I admire it. I, think, I wish I could have written that. And so, what would you pick? Oh gosh, um, well, there's several I think about. I mean, I I I still look at, in a sense, he's he's still my hero to to look yeah. at Graham Kendrick and go the Servant King and the way that's put together. Yeah, you know, I mean, I heard him do that recently at a, a conference, and I thought it still has such a powerful thing to say to actually take that Servant King idea, you know, with the great lines that hands flung stars into space. To cruel nail surrendered is a fantastic pair of lines in terms of taking what is utterly utterly biblical but putting it in modern poetic language. But then actually to take that final verse and put it to go, actually, so this is about us serving one another. Yeah. So it's not just, wow, majestic God, how incredible. It's to go, that means I need to have that attitude towards my neighbor. Brilliant. 
Yeah. You know, it's that's the power of it because he's thought it through and he's thought through the implications and he hasn't just stopped at awe. He, there's the awe there, but he's gone on to go, okay, this affects how I live. This affects my attitude. So I need to learn how to serve. You know, and I think that's really powerful. So that song always always yeah. springs to mind. I think that's that's a good pick. I think you should you should okay. have that. Okay. I would very happily have that one. <laughs> um, we had um, Gra- now. What did uh, what did Graham pick? Graham picked. Um, well, he didn't pick one of mine. No, oh, but Gerald, Geraldine darn. Latty did. <laughs> well, that's a great choice, and uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you very much, Stuart. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Joel. A big thanks to Stuart and a big thanks to Sam. We're going to finish this podcast by playing our featured song, which is Lamb of God by Judy Gresham. We picked this one because, uh, yeah, I suppose in many ways, it's the most like a Stuart Townend song that we've got. And interestingly, it was one where I actually contributed quite a lot of the tune and Judy wrote all of the words um, and the tune to the chorus as well. So there's a definite mark of... Um, Townend Getty esque collaborations. We hope you'll enjoy that one. Uh, thanks for listening and do continue to get in touch. You can email us podcast at resignworship.org. You can find us on Facebook slash resignworship.org or on Twitter at resignworship. See you next time. Lamb of God, blameless one, dearly loved, only son. Scourged as he is hung on the cross of